This class is part of the Lessons in Tanya project. More classes available at LessonsInTanya.com. Major funding for this Tanya class is provided by the Mettel Corporation. Additional funding is provided by Tanya students like you. Lessons in Tanya. The Tanya of Rabbi Schneir Zalman of Liadi, taught by Rabbi Ben Zion Krasniansky. Tanya's text elucidated by Rabbi Yosef Weinberg. Letter number 17, page 295. And Alter is now going to discuss the effect of tzedakah, not only giving tzedakah, but the effect of awakening within yourself the attitude of loving kindness and compassion, giving tzedakah wholeheartedly. Your heart should be filled with love and compassion for those who are in need, and by awakening within us this attribute, this characteristic trait of loving and kindness and helping, this will trigger a response from Hashem. And that's what he's going to describe in this chapter, a very, very profound chapter, where he's going to discuss fundamental belief of Judaism, the 13th principle of faith, the belief in the resurrection, and the profound connection to tzedakah. How all of this comes about through tzedakah. It is well known that in response to an arousal from below, when a man arouses in his heart the attribute of loving kindness and compassion for all those in need of compassion, there comes an arousal from above that arouses great compassion upon him from the source of compassion. So it's well known in the Zohar that the way Hashem set up this world is that God is interactive. And whatever we do, Hashem responds. As the Baal Shem Tov said, King David writes, God is our shadow. So the shadow follows us. We smile, God smiles. We fill our heart with love and compassion and concern and caring for our fellow. This will awaken a, a response from above. Now, not that anything that we can do inherently could really awaken a response from Hashem. The distance, the gap between us and Hashem is infinite. So no matter what we do, no matter how much we extend ourselves, no matter how impressive and how... Whatever we do really should not have the power to awaken anything. To awaken any response. But Hashem desired it to be so. It's not that we force Hashem. Hashem has no choice. He can't help but remain indifferent if He sees our efforts and sees our sincerity and sees our heart. He responds in kind. No, it's, it's Hashem desired it to be so. Hashem desired it that He is going to reflect us. Whatever we do, He is going to respond, although the response is not commensurate to the effort. Because Hashem responds. Hashem is infinite. So Hashem's response is infinite. We are finite. There's nothing we can do we can't even approach infinity. Even when we do something that relative to ourselves, we consider it infinite. We go beyond our limitations. We 
push the envelope. We, you know, we go take the extra mile. We really extend ourselves. For us, that's considered infinite. But in relationship to, to in relation to tr- what's truly infinite, to the absolute inf- infinity, Hashem Himself. Obviously, whatever we do is completely insignificant. It doesn't even begin to scratch to approach infinity. So it cannot really evoke anything on its own. So it's not that it forces it, but that's the way Hashem set up the world. That's why Hashem wanted it. That's how He desired. He said that whatever you do, I am going to reflect. So if a person fills his heart with love and compassion, so Hashem will respond in kind that this will awaken rachamim rabbim, tremendous mercy, infinite mercy, from the source of mercy. As taught in chapter 45 of part 1, this does not refer to Av Harachaman, the limited level of compassion that derives from the measured evolvement of the world, but to the level of divine compassion, Av Harachaman. So this Av Harachaman, which is the compassion which is already in part of the world, but then there's the source, the source of, of Rachamim, which transcends all limitations. So when we do tzedakah in this world, and we fill, not only we do tzedakah, but how we do tzedakah, we do it with wholeheartedly, compassion, with love, with sensitivity, with care. We fill our hearts. And he says, interesting, he doesn't even say you gave the tzedakah yet. He says the moment you awaken your heart with the attribute and the characteristic trait of love and rachmanas and mercy and compassion to all of those in need, Hashem responds right away. He doesn't even wait till you actually give the tzedakah. Just deciding to give the tzedakah and just paying attention and the care and the compassion and the sensitivity, as long as it's genuine. That's, one, that's the only criteria. Hashem, Hashem sees in your heart that it's for real. So immediately, there's an immediate response. You awaken a tremendous level. Hashem responds in kind, a tremendous level of this infinite mercy that comes from the source of mercy and compassion that endows him with the fruits of his deeds in this world while the principle remains intact for the world to come. This is what we say in the morning prayer. We quote the Mishnah of Peah, the first Mishnah in the tractate, the second tractate, and the Shas of Peah, that Siddhartha is one of those mitzvot that the principle remains the world to come and the fruits and the dividends we enjoy in this world. So now he's going to explain when we say the world to come, it can mean a few different things. Sometimes it <coughs> refers to the afterlife. That this world, Olam has is this world, and the world to come is the world that follows this world, the afterlife, when the soul, after the soul departs the body. But here he's saying it means the world to come is referring to, in the absolute sense, the world to come refers to the world of resurrection. Um, and Olam Hazah, this world, in a broader sense, includes and encompasses not only the physical world, our life now, but even the afterlife. Even the, this, the soul, after 120 years, when it moved, moves on to the world of souls, the eternal world, that's also included in Olam Hazah, in this world. So he says, the fruits of the tzedakah, we enjoy and we benefit from both in this world, in the physical world, and in the spiritual world. The soul receives spiritual delights. These are the dividends 
that result from stuck, but the principle remains intact. The principle is untouched. The principle is reserved for Olam Haba, which refers to the world of resurrection, the ultimate reward. That comes after the world of the, uh, the other life. Because the afterlife, afterwards, the soul will come back into this world. Those souls will return into the body and be resurrected. Someone passed away and he received a letter from the Social Security office that uh, we're stopping payments for Social Security because we've gotten word that you've deceased. But if your situation changes, please notify us. <laughs> Someone in the Social Security office believes in the resurrection. But um, So resur- resurrection is the ultimate reward. It's the reward that comes the afterlife, after Gan Eden, after the Garden of Eden. We know that there is there's an argument between Maimonides and Nachmanides. Classical argument. Maimonides believes that the ultimate reward is the afterlife. He says the resurrection is just a temporary, will be temporary. In order to reward the body that lived a good life, that made all these sacrifices, that enabled the soul to move on to the Garden of Eden. So it's not fear. God is, God is fear. It's not fear. The body shouldn't be rewarded. Because the reward, only the soul is rewarded. But the body dies. So the soul will return to the body and the body will enjoy and benefit. And then the soul will return back to its eternal bliss, to a disembodied state. That's my Manadis' opinion. Manadis argues, and all the Kabbalists and the Hasidic masters say that that's not so. Nachmanides argues with Maimonides and he says that, the, that the, the resurrection, the ultimate reward is the resurrection. When the soul will return back into the body, this is, this is the ultimate reward. And that's what Olam Haba is referring to. Olam Haba is referring to the world to come, meaning the ultimate reward, which is when the souls will return back to the body. So the principle will remain to will remain and we will receive the principle in the world to come after the resurrection. You know, the Rebbe goes on to explain that fruits in this world refers not only to physical blessings but also to the insights and spiritual delights of Gan Eden, literally the Garden of Eden. For even Gan Eden is termed this world in relation to the world to come at the time of the revival of the dead. It is true that in relation to our present physical world, Ganadin is called the world to come, because it follows and rewards the good deeds performed in this world. Nevertheless, when compared to the actual world to come, all worlds, including the spiritual worlds of which Ganadin is one, are termed this world. This is because all worlds can aspire even now to a revealed level of comprehension, this being a word denoting revelation. By contrast, the Alter Rebbe will soon explain the perception of divinity in the world to come at the time of the revival of the dead, since all revealed levels of comprehension. Olam Hazen, Hebrew we refer to this world as Olam Hazen, this world. This world means Zeh, in Hebrew, is when you're pointing your finger. You can point your finger to it and says this. So anything that you can grasp, anything that's, that's clear to you, you can point your finger and say, Zeh. 
So even the delights, the spiritual delights in the afterlife, since it's a delight that the soul comprehends and the soul grasps and the soul basks in and enjoys, benefits from it, he can point to it. He sees it, he understands it, he perceives it, he can grasp it. So Elam Mahaza, in a broader sense, also refers to the spiritual delights and the spiritual rewards in the Garden of Eden because it's a, it's a, it's a revelation which the soul could absorb, could internalize, because it's limited. Versus the resurrection of the dead will result, will be a consequence of a, of a revelation of the transcendent light, of the infinite light. It's a qualitatively different type of revelation, different type of experience. And that's why the dead will be resurrected. When there'll be this revelation of this transcendent light, suddenly the dead come alive. So, therefore, you can't say zeh. In that time, you won't be able to say zeh. This world. You can't call Olam Abba, Olam Haza, this world, because you won't be able to grasp it. It'll be something that's inherently transcendent, inherently infinite, Inherently, something that's beyond grasp. And that's why it's not called Elam Hazah, that's called Elam Haba, it's the future world. So that's what the Mishnah says. When the Mishnah says that the, the dividends of the mitzvah of tzedakah we receive in Elam Hazah in this world, Elam Hazah is, is not just referring to the physical. The Mishnah doesn't only mean that we're going to benefit from the tzedakah, we're going to live off the dividends, that we're going to have... Uh, we're going to be physically blessed in our personal lives as a result of the tzedakah. That's also true. But the Mishnah also means that the reward of Ganeiden, the reward of the afterlife that we receive as a result of the tzedakah, and the truth is all mitzvot, is just the fruits. It's just the dividends. You're living off the interest. That's not the principle. When will we enjoy the principle? When will we get to spend the principle? Enjoy the principle? We're saving up the principle for when? When is retirement? When is the principle? The principle is Elam Hava. The principle is the world of resurrection, the era of resurrection. And that's what he's going to explain. Explain now. This means that the fruits refers to the flow of benevolence which is bestowed by the source of compassion and the fountainhead of life, blessed be he. It issues ever netherwards, following the pattern of the evolution of the worlds from above downwards and so on, until it vests itself in this physical world in the form of the blessings of children, life, and livelihood, and the like. All these gifts, both spiritual and material, are deemed to be mere fruits, just as fruits are not of the essence of a tree, but fall and are replaced, so too does this flow of benevolence undergo transformation? So the tree constantly gives off new fruits. Not the same fruit, it constantly gives off new fruits. So too, the principle of the, the principal reward of the mitzvah gives off, and every world, according to that world, it gives off fruits. In the spiritual world, it gives off spiritual fruits that the soul which achieves certain levels of understanding, of pleasure, of ecstasy, of revelations, of spiritual revelations, as a result of this tzedakah, of this mitzvah. And in this world, the principle gives off a different type of dividend, a physical dividend. 
that you're blessed with health and with, with, with Parnassah and with, with all the wonderful things. So each world, it's a different type of reward because this is just the offspring, the, the, the fruits, the dividends, which is constantly changing versus the principle, the tree itself, the principle, that remains intact. That remains untouched. That we're going to benefit from only in the future, in the world of, in the time of, of resurrection. The principle relates to the verse, your commandment, Mitzvah <coughs> is very wide. The beginning of the Pasuk says, L'chol tichla re'isi kates, to everything, I've seen an end. But But your mitzvahs are very wide. There's no end to the, to the mitzvah. So the simple explanation is referring to all the mitzvahs. Everything in this world has an end. But the mitzvahs are endless, are infinite. So there's a few questions. Firstly, what do you mean? The 613 mitzvahs. The mitzvahs are not endless. Also, you should have said in the plural, your mitzvot are wide. Why does he say it in the singular? Mitzvascha. He doesn't say mitzvotecha. Rechava mitzvatcha, your mitzvah. And also, Rechava, he asks, is not, a, is not a common expression. What do you mean mitzvot are wide? He said mitzvot are great, mitzvot are exalted, mitzvot are holy, are special. What do you mean mitzvot are a fat, I mean, a wide, I mean, uh, with. What does with have to do with, <laughs> with mitzvahs? How is that a measure? What are you, you're, trying to ex- you're trying to express how great the mitzvahs are. Oh, mitzvahs are very wide. I mean, what does that mean? Mitzvahs are wide. Now, I should have said your commandments, mitzvotecha, in the plural. This would be the case if the verse simply meant to say that the commandments in general are without end. The term wide is also puzzling. A more commonly expected term might have been great, immense, lofty, or the like. However, the choice of the singular form of your commandment alludes to the mitzvah of tzedakah, which is truly God's mitzvah, the mitzvah he performed himself. So what does it mean? That he's referring specifically to one particular mitzvah out of the 613 mitzvah, and that is the mitzvah of tzedakah. Why the mitzvah of tzedakah? God does all 630 mitzvahs. God practices what he preaches. We could not do any of the mitzvot unless God himself did the mitzvah. God doing the mitzvah gives us the strength and the ability to do the mitzvot. And when we do the mitzvah, God also is interactive and God also does the mitzvah. We put on the tefillin, he puts on the tefillin. Every mitzvah that we do evokes a response from Hashem. So what's unique about tzedakah? Why is tzedakah singled out from all 613 mitzvot that this is God's mitzvah? Tefillin, God also puts on tefillin. Of course, you can't compare. God's putting on tefillin, now putting on tefillin. But nevertheless, you can't say that the mitzvah is unique to God. Tzedakah, however, is unique to God. You know, because when we give tzedakah, ultimately, there's a reason why we're giving tzedakah. So, in a sense, it's not pure tzedakah. There's always a reason why we're giving the tzedakah. So if there's a reason why we're giving tzedakah, it's not pure tzedakah. Pure tzedakah in the purest sense. 
that God is giving, what's tzedakah? There's no reason in the world why I should be giving you. You don't earn it, you don't deserve it, there's no reason in the world I should give you. I'm not getting anything from it, I'm not getting anything. This you can only apply to Hashem. Because the fact that Hashem is giving us, whatever He gives us, He creates us, He sustains us, He gives us, is a pure act of tzedakah. It's completely gratuitous. He owes us nothing. There's nothing we can do that can make him really want to give us tzedakah. It's a complete, pure act of tzedakah in the purest sense. Why is he doing it? Because Hashem is giving tzedakah. It's pure. There's no ulterior motive. There's no ulterior motivation. It's just pure tzedakah. And he says, it's a mitzvah that God is constantly doing. Because every moment that God is creating us and sustaining us and creating the universe is a pure act of tzedakah. So 24-7, God is constantly giving tzedakah. He doesn't stop for a moment. Fill in, you put on and you take off. All the other mitzvot have their times. But the one mitzvah that Hashem is constantly busy with, 24-7, is a mitzvah of tzedakah. Every time He's creating us, every moment that we exist is a pure gratuitous act of tzedakah, of kindness, of love, of kindness. He doesn't owe us anything. There's nothing we can give him. It's, it's just, he's giving. Because even the fact that we awaken within Hashem, that alone is only because he desired it. Inherently, there's nothing we can do that can touch him or affect Hashem. So it's a pure act of tzedakah. Hashem just decided to give. Even though really there's no one really to give to and there's no, there's no reason to give. And yet Hashem gives. So this is the mitzvah. This is Hashem's mitzvah. So it's interesting. We learned in the first part of Tanya that the chapter 37 that the ultimate mitzvah is the mitzvah of tzedakah. There's 613 mitzvah. But wherever the Jerusalem Talmud refers to the mitzvah without any adjectives, referring to tzedakah. So tzedakah is the ultimate mitzvah for us. Because it's giving up your ego, it's, it's the whole theme behind all the mitzvot. It captures what all the mitzvot are all about. For Hashem, it's also true. What is His mitzvah? Without any adjectives, mitzvah scha, your mitzvah. There are 613 mitzvahs. Hashem is doing all 613. No, but there's your mitzvah. What's your mitzvah? Tzedakah. So we're more alike in that sense. Tzedakah. This is the ultimate mitzvah. This is Hashem's personal mitzvah. This is what He's busy with. This is what He's doing constantly. And it's a pure act of tzedakah. For us, however, it can't be. A, it's not pure tzedakah. There's always a reason why we're giving tzedakah. So it's not a pure, just a pure act. Which the Holy One Himself, blessed be He, in all His majesty, performs at all times by animating the world and will do so in the future with exceeding magnitude and intensity. In the future, in the world to come, whatever Hashem is doing, whatever is, is, it's, it's a pure act of tzedakah. It is likewise written, and they shall observe the path of Hashem to do tzedakah. I.e. tzedakah is here described as Hashem's path. Metaphorically speaking, like a road on which one travels from one town to another, so too, charity is a manifestation and radiation of the infinite things of life which encompasses all worlds. Just like a path, a path, a road, is how you travel from one place to another place. You transport. 
transportation, so too, tzedakah is the road. How Hashem, His infinite light, is transported from Hashem's infinite self and, is, and travels to our world. So it's the revelation of Hashem's infinite self, just like a road. It's the king himself that travels. It's the very same king that was in the palace and now travels the road and arrives at a distant destination. It's the very same king that was here ends up here. So the very same infinite light, the way it is in its infinite self, Hashem in his infinite self, travels, so to speak, and arrives and reaches the farthest places and arrives and reaches in, into this world all the worlds and into this world. So, that, that's, so through tzedakah, that's how we bring Hashem, we bring His infinite self, His transcendent self, to all the worlds and into this world. That will radiate and become manifest in the future, at the time of the resurrection of the dead, even to this world, in response to the arousal initiated by mortals from below, as expressed in charity and gratuitous kindness with a magnitude and force infinitely exceeding the state in which the radiation is manifested in the lower and higher levels of planet. He's saying, how are we going to merit the resurrection of the dead, which is the manifestation of God's level of save of Kalam, and God's transcendent self, and God's infinite self. How do we get from here to there? This is the derech Hashem. This is the path of Hashem, is through tzedakah. But how do we get Hashem to do tzedakah? When we do tzedakah, we arouse within our hearts and we arouse that kindness and that compassion and that care and the concern that motivates us to actually give tzedakah. This evokes and awakens within Hashem, Hashem to do His tzedakah. And what is the ultimate tzedakah? The ultimate tzedakah of Hashem is when He reveals His infinite self. Because that's a pure act of tzedakah. Because there's nothing that we can do to truly arouse Hashem to give that tzedakah. It's a pure gratuitous gift. It's a pure act of tzedakah in Hashem's part. You can't say, well, I'm so compassionate and I'm so kind and I'm so good. Hashem has no choice. He has to give us tzedakah. Then it's not tzedakah. It's a reward. Tzedakah means it's not a reward. It's not a bonus. Not even a bonus. Not only is it not a salary, it's not even a bonus. I like the way you're behaving, I'm giving you a bonus. It's not, it's not a salary, but it's a bonus, but you're expecting it because you, know, you like my behavior, you're giving me a gift. Tzedakah is, there's no bonus, it's not a salary, you don't earn it, you don't deserve it. There's nothing in the world you can do to earn it and deserve it. I'm giving it to you as a pure act of tzedakah. So which level could, we, could this refer to? It can only refer to Hashem's infinite self, His transcendent self. Because the level of, of Malik Lama, the level where Hashem fills all the worlds, the level where Hashem expresses Himself in a way that we can receive and we can absorb, that's something you can earn. If you have a vessel, you draw it down, you earn it, you deserve it, you're able to receive it. That's not tzedakah. That's earned. But Hashem's transcendent self is infinite self that he should reveal his transcendent self, his infinite self. This is the ultimate act of tzedakah. It's a gratuitous kindness. There's nothing we have done, nothing we can do to possibly... But nevertheless, Hashem desired that, well, when will he reveal this level of tzedakah? 
we at least have to do our share. We have to do tzedakah. If we will do tzedakah and fill our hearts with love and compassion and care and concern for another person, then Hashem will respond in kind. And give the ultimate tzedakah, the real tzedakah, which in truth only Hashem really gives tzedakah. And what's Hashem's ultimate tzedakah? The fact that He's creating us a tzedakah, the fact that He sustains us a tzedakah, and everything that we have is tzedakah. This world and the afterlife and Ganeden, but the ultimate tzedakah is the principle of tzedakah. What's the principle of tzedakah? When is the principle of tzedakah revealed? In the revelation of the resurrection. In the revelation of Hashem's essence, of Hashem's infinite self, of His of his transcendent self. That revelation is pure tzedakah. They should reveal himself to us, himself, his transcendent self, not his limited self, but his, 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 his true self, in all of his infinite glory, they should reveal that to us. That's a pure act of tzedakah. And as a result of that revelation, the dead will come alive. The body will come to life. The dead bodies who have been dead for thousands of years will come to life. As a result of this tremendous transformation. That's what he's explaining. He's saying that you have to learn, you have to understand that the resurrection, the level of revelation during the resurrection is much more intense and much greater. In this world, the resurrection of this world, the revelation of godliness, or manifest itself, during the resurrection will be much more intense, much more powerful, much greater than the revelation of the souls in, in, in the Garden of Eden. You would think, how is that possible? The body, the soul has to leave the body because the body is too limited. So the soul has to leave the body in order to be able to achieve the revelation of the Garden of Eden. Because the body is too coarse, the body is too dense, the body is too limiting. As long as the soul is in the body, the soul cannot truly experience the glimmer and the ray of Hashem. It can't really appreciate and enjoy and bask in Hashem's light and Hashem's glory. Because the body is too limited, it's too dark. So only the soul, only after 120 years when the soul leaves the body, only then is the soul able to achieve a tremendous level of insight and understanding and ecstasy and pleasure and godliness. And then you say the soul comes back to the body? And then the soul will achieve a much greater revelation of godliness than the level that the soul achieved in heaven? And you have to say so. Because otherwise, why, why would you disturb the souls in heaven? The souls in heaven are having such a good time. If coming into this world is a descent, is a plunge from the peak to the abyss, you're sending the soul back into this world. It wasn't bad enough that it had to be here the first time. Now, now you're sending the soul back into the world. And this is a reward. This is the ultimate reward. And who are we talking about? We're talking about the souls of Avram, Yitzhak, and Yaakov, Sarah, Rivka, Rachel, and Leah, Moses, Moshe, Rabbein, and Moses, our teacher, have been in Ganed in the Garden of Eden for over 3,000 years. And every single day they're advancing. And they're experiencing new heights and new levels and new ecstasy and new depth. 
because it's infinite. God's revelation is infinite. And every day there's new insights and new understanding and new development. And you're going to take them from the heavenly highs, the highest levels of heaven, and you're going to send them back into this world, to this dark world. And this is supposed to be a greater reward. This is the ultimate reward. So obviously, the revelation that will bring about the resurrection of the dead, the fact that today the dead cannot rise, with the exception of a few individual cases throughout history, when we, the stories in the Tanakh and the stories of great rabbis who were able to resurrect the dead, the smallest uh, Tana of the Mishnah was able to resurrect the dead, uh, the smallest Tana, as the Talmud says, but this was an individual case. But in general, at a time when all the dead will rise, all those who are going to merit the resurrection will rise, this will come about as a result of an intense revelation, a transcendent revelation, an entirely qualitatively different type of revelation. Unlike the revelation in the Garden of Eden, nothing like the revelation in the Garden of Eden. As great as the revelation of the Garden of Eden is, and it's infinite, and there's constant growth, and constant, it's dynamic, and it's vibrant, and it's alive, and there's constant movement, and growth, and change. It's nothing in comparison to the revelation, intense revelation that will take place during the resurrection. As we say in the Shabbos morning davening, there's no comparison to you, Hashem, in, in this world. And there's no one besides you in the world to come in prayer. Here is referring to the afterlife, in Gan Eden, the Garden of Eden. There's no one besides you, our Redeemer, in the days of Mashiach, the time, the era of Mashiach. But then he concludes, There's no one like you when it comes to the era of resurrection which is, comes after the era of Mashiach. The era of Mashiach will be a natural era. And then that will lead into the era of resurrection. When miracles start happening, the dead start rising from the grave, you say hello to Babi and Zaidi, you re- reunite. This is an astonishment. How could the dead come alive? Bodies who have been dead and buried for thousands of years, how can they come alive? So obviously there's going to be such an intense revelation of a different order, a different quality of revelation, because there'll be a revelation from Hashem's infinite, Hashem's transcendent self. And therefore death and life, the dead could be changed and transformed into life. The dead bodies could come alive. So the bodies that will come alive, it's going to be a different type of body. It's going to be a physical body but it's going to be a body that will come alive as a result of the resurrection. Our bodies come, our mothers, our our fathers. So it's very physical and very coarse and very crass and very dense and materialistic. 
but the bodies that will come back as a result of this resurrection, of this intense revelation of godliness, are going to be very fine bodies, a different, different type of body. And, as the Talmud says, in the time of Elam Haba, in the time of resurrection, the body won't even need to eat to live. There won't be any eating, there won't be any drinking. The body will just be an energy source. And the soul will nourish itself from the body. The body will be a source, a generator of energy. It won't need any food or drink to sustain it. So it's going to be a different type of... So when the soul is parked in the Garden of Eden for thousands of years, the greatest souls of the patriarchs and the matriarchs and Moses are parked in the Garden of Eden. It's just temporary. Until the permanent home. And they can't wait until they come back and will return in this world in the time of resurrection. In the time of the ultimate intense revelation of godliness. Of Hashem's infinite self and transcendent self that will be revealed at that time. So this is a much greater reward than the garden. Uh, what's the point? I mean, if it's so great up there... Why do we have to come back here? Again? That's I mean, a, what's earth going to look? That's exactly the point. In other words, over there, the level of revelation they have over <coughs> there is nothing in comparison to the level of revelation which they're only going to experience after the soul returns back so in the resurrected body. Nice, this earth. Oh, this world will be completely different than we know it now. It's going to be the world will be filled with the knowledge of Hashem. This world, right now, this world is the darkest of all the worlds. This world is the most dense and coarse and crass of all the worlds. In the time of the resurrection, this world will be the most intense revelation of godliness. It will be the most brilliant, the most illuminated, the most profound, the deepest of all the worlds, the most powerful of all. So it will be a spiritual world? No, it's going to be physical. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's the whole point. That's the astonishing thing. That's the question. How is it possible? How could something physical be the ultimate? Right now we understand. Physical is dense, coarse. It's limited. It's like a stone. A stone is limited. It doesn't move. It sits in one place. There's no sign of life. There's no sign of energy. There's no sign of anything. The only, only sign of energy is that it exists. A tree, at least you see it growing. You see some life. Animals roaming around. You see life. An animal feels. A human being has imagination, consciousness filled with wonder. So you see there's a life. Angels, higher levels, there's consciousness, there's life. But, but there's nothing. Our world is like the stone. It's the physical. The body is like the physical. The dense, it's dense, it's physical, it's material, it's a sense of touch. It's the lowest of all the worlds. So how much revelation could there be already? It's like a, a pinhole. There's, there's, there's nowhere to put anything. It's too small. It's too tiny. And yet, Mashiach will come. And after Mashiach, when the resurrection will come, this world will be the most intense revelation. And you're, at, you're, you're asking a very good question. How is that possible? And that's the whole point that Alter Rebbe is making in this letter. It seems astonishing. How is it possible? How could you say that the physical is going to be a greater reward than the spiritual? How could physical be a greater reward than spiritual? Every philosopher under the sun, every mystic under the sun will stand on the rooftops and shout, it's ridiculous, it's impossible. How could something physical be a greater revelation than something spiritual? 
It's counterintuitive. It, it makes no sense. Spirituality. Now that's... Mm-hmm. Now you're talking. Spiritual, light, physical, material. How is that a revelation? And it's interesting. The Garden of Eden comes as a result of studying Torah. That's why not everyone has a not everyone has a part in the Garden of Eden. Everyone has different levels. But the resurrection will come about as a result of the mitzvah, the physical mitzvah that we do. And that's why we say in the introduction to Ethics of Our Fathers, every week we read the chapter of Our Fathers, we say, Kol Yisrael, every Jew, Yeish Chelek, the Mishnah and Sanhedrin, every Jew has a portion, L'Olam Haba, a portion, a shear in the world to come. What does Olam Haba here mean in the Mishnah? Resurrection, the physical, the world to come, which comes after Mashiach, when the souls in the Garden of Eden will return to life and come back to life in this physical world. So the Mishnah says that every Jew has a share in the world to come. It doesn't say every Jew has a share in the Ganeden, in the afterlife. Because that's not true, not so. If you study Torah, you have a share in the world, in the Ganeden. If not, not. But every Jew has a mitzvah, every Jew has done a mitzvah. Even the sinners amongst Jews are filled with mitzvot, like a pomegranate is filled with seeds. So the resurrection comes as a result of the mitzvah. So every Jew has a share in the world. So again, the world to come, the ultimate revelation, comes as a result of the physical mitzvah. The deed, putting on the tefillin, giving the tzedakah physically, versus the spiritual, the learning, the consciousness, the awareness, the meditation, the understanding, the learning, that leads to a spiritual reward, which is a secondary reward. But the primary reward, the ultimate reward, comes as a result of the physical mitzvah. The same paradox, the same quandary, the same puzzle, riddle. How is that? Why is that? How is that possible? How could the physical be the ultimate reward? It's interesting because uh, you, you think about um, you know, that Hashem wants us to make a place here in this physical world where He's comfortable. So that sort of implies that uh, you know, therefore um, you know, there is something beyond this. In other words, he's prepare, He's asking us to prepare the world for, or prepare a little bit of the world as a uh, place where he'll feel comfortable after the resurrection. People make a mistake. People think that spirituality is God or godliness. Spirituality is it's really all about the self, myself. How fine-tuned I am. How delicate, how sensitive I am. My, my receptors, my receivers, how delicate, how fine-tuned they are. You know, you have radios that pick up, you can only pick up radio waves that are within the neighborhood. You have stronger radio, you can pick up. And if you have short, short-wave radio, I can pick up stations from all over, all over the world. How fine-tuned your receptors are. It's out there. The radio waves are out there. But you need receptors to pick it up, to notice it, to absorb it, to listen to it, to hear it. Otherwise, 
you don't have the receptors to pick it up. The energy is there, but I don't have, I can't perceive it, and I can't sense it, and I can't, I can't uh, absorb it. So when you say a person is spiritual, a person is more spiritual, the more spiritual you are, the more egoless you are, the more spiritual you are, the more sensitive you are, the more, tu- more tuned in you are, the more focused you are, the more conscious you are, you're able to receive more, you're able to absorb more. Just like within the human body. The brain, which is very, very delicate, the most delicate organ, receives, is able to receive and absorb, receive, the most delicate capacity of the soul, which is to comprehend, to think and to comprehend. The heart is able to receive and absorb the ability of emotions, of feelings, and relationships. So every organ in the body, the hand, receives things that the hand could receive because it's, it's not as refined as... So every organ, depending on how refined it is and how fine-tuned it is, is able to receive and access a different dimension, a different level of reality. So it all depends on myself, how spiritual I am, how deep I am, how profound I am, how sensitive, delicate, fine... But the truth is that Hashem, Hashem is not spiritual, Hashem is not physical. The most spiritually sensitive being cannot begin to grasp Hashem. It's like an infinity, a million, a billion, a zillion, a trillion, a zillion. There's not one iota closer to infinity than one. It, we don't have the tools with which to receive Hashem's infinite self. Because we're not infinite, we're finite. So we simply are not, don't have the capacity to really know Hashem, to really receive Hashem, to understand Hashem, to know Hashem. So all that we're receiving is, we're receiving a glimmer of a ray, we're receiving the way Hashem limits Himself, concentrates Himself, and allows us allows himself to be perceived and sensed. But Hashem's essence, Hashem himself, Hashem's infinite and transcendent self is simply beyond our capacity. We don't have the abilities, we don't even have the tools. So spirituality is not a vessel for Hashem's infinite self. So not only is spirituality not a vessel for Hashem's infinite self, but the physical and the material is not a contradiction either. Just like the spiritual and the most sublime and the most spiritual is not a vessel and a vehicle to receive. The most sensitive cannot receive and begin to perceive and perceive Hashem's infinite self. The physical is not a contradiction. So if Hashem chooses the physical and says, this physical is a vehicle through which you're going to connect with my infinite self, with my transcendent self, it's just as much as a vehicle, a vessel, just as much not as a vessel, the spiritual is not a vessel, and the physical, of course, is nothing, is not a vessel. But the reason why we're able to connect with Hashem's infinite self is not because of anything inherent that we have the capacity or we're able to. It's because Hashem chose, Hashem desired. Hashem says, if you do this, if you do this physical mitzvah, then you're connecting with my infinite self, with my infinite essence. So, it's, it's, so the fact that the physical and the material is not spiritual, and perhaps even the antithesis of spirituality, 
that's the reason why it's specifically the physical that enables us to connect with Hashem's infinite self. Because it's very clear that it has nothing to do with it's purely Hashem. What makes this special is because Hashem desired nothing else. Nothing on its own. It has nothing on its own right. It's only because Hashem desired. So when something is spiritual and something is fine and refined on its own right is something special, that in a sense covers up on, on Hashem because it's, it's, it's special in its own right. It's spiritual, it's something. But when you take something physical, that, that's nothing. It's nothing. On its own right, it's nothing. It's physical, it's dense, it's coarse, it's, it's, it's limited, it's nothing. Why is it special? For one reason and one reason only. Because Hashem chose it. That's what makes it special. So it's so clear that it's special only because Hashem desired and chose it. So therefore there's no, there's no contradiction, there's no conflict, there's no static. There's no, there's, there's, it's very clear. The connection to Hashem is very clear. In heaven, however, the connection to Hashem is not so clear. Because you get so caught up in your meditation, in your spirituality, in your sensitivity, and, it, and it's something precious, it's something valuable, on its own right. So, so you forget it can cover up in Hashem. But when you have something physical, the body, the body is not special. What's special about the body? Of course, it's material. It's dense. The only reason it's special is because Hashem chose it. That's what makes it special. There is nothing else. Only because Hashem chose it and desired it, that's why it's holy and that's why it's special. So it's only in this physical world when the body will be resurrected that will be so clear that's why this physical world is a vessel to receive the infinite light, even more so than the spiritual. You know, it's like a parent loves a child. So there's the love of an adult child. Then there's the love of, a, of your baby. An adult child, the unconditional love between parent and child gets covered up. You love the child because they're an adult, they're clever, they're smart. They're handsome. They're my child. I love them. You, you, you get caught up in all the revealed qualities of the child. Their brains and their character and their personality and their good heart. and their, Everything about them gives you so much delight and pleasure. It covers up on the essential, on the core love between a parent and a child, which is unconditional. But a baby, however, there's no cover you don't love a baby because a baby is clever. A baby is not clever. Haven't cracked the joke yet. As a matter of fact, babies are a pain in the neck. You don't love them because. There's no because. Because they're burping on you all the time. Because they're throwing up on you all the time. Because they have to change their diapers 20 times a day. I mean, and they don't let you sleep at night. There's no because. You love them because it's, it's my child. Period. That's it. There's nothing else. There's no redeeming factor. There's nothing here. It's, you just love. That's it. Period. End of sentence. End of story. So the core essential love, and this love remains throughout the, person, throughout the child's life, even when the baby grows up and becomes an adult. It's my child. It's my baby. At the end of the day, whatever happens, I love them unconditionally, no matter what happens. But it gets covered up. After a while, you have reasons. I love him because this reason. I love him because that reason. 
And it, it covers up in the core and essential reason why you love the child. Because it's unconditional. So too, the Garden of Eden, the spiritual realms, higher levels of consciousness, the world of angels and souls. Yes, it's, it's active, it's vibrant, it's alive, it's, 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 it's a whole universe. And it's exciting and ecstatic and blissful and filled with life and ecstasy and pleasure and indescribable delights and rewards, but it's a cover. It hides and covers up in Hashem's infinite self because all it is is a glimmer of a ray. But during the resurrection, when Hashem will resurrect the body, what's the body? The body is nothing. Hashem is resurrecting the body. There's no cover. It's clearly a manifestation of Hashem's infinite self. Hashem's essence, Hashem's infinite self, is transcendent self. So precisely it's because the body... So what he's saying here is, he's saying something very, very, very profound. He's saying here that it's not only because when Hashem reveals His transcendent self, there is no difference between heaven and earth. There's no difference between the soul and the body, the spiritual and the physical... Because God transcends all the worlds. He says the principle will be revealed in the physical. The resurrection of the dead, the body coming back alive, the physical. Not that the physical and the spiritual are equal. On the contrary, the physical becomes superior to the spiritual. The souls who are parked in heaven for thousands of years, the matriarchs and the patriarchs, can't wait to come back into that body, into the physical. So the physical is superior to the spiritual. It's not that the physical becomes equal to the spiritual, which that alone is a tremendous breakthrough. But no. The physical becomes the primary. That becomes the source. That becomes the primary revelation, the principle. And this is the path where Hashem travels, leaves the palace and goes and ends up into the physical and that's where He ends up and that's where He's revealed and this becomes the source, the most intense revelation will take place in this world. Not the spiritual world and the higher worlds and the higher realms. That will, on the contrary, all the higher realms will end up back here. Because this will be the center. This will be the eternal reward. The soul is coming back and never leaving. This is it. This, is it. this, is, this becomes the center and the focus. The body. Why? Why does the body become the most intense revelation in the physical body? A body is nothing. A body is a, like a stone. What's a, what's a body? How could the stone contain so much, so much revelation? The answer is on the contrary, because it's a stone, because it's a body, because it's the sense of touch, because it's the most physical and tangible, there's no cover. It's clear that, it, that it's only because Hashem chose it. So it's, it's able to manifest Hashem's infinite self, His transcendent self, without any cover. In heaven, Hashem's manifestation gets lost, because heaven could be a distraction. Heaven is something that's has value in its own right. There's so much going on and so exciting and it's this value. It's like the adult child. The adult child has value and has talent. So you forget that it's my child and I love him all because it's my child and I love him unconditionally. So in heaven you get distracted. You get caught up. There's so much going on in heaven. There's revelations and ecstasy and higher levels of consciousness. You forget 
it covers up in the manifestation of Hashem's essence. In this world, there's no cover. Hashem is completely revealed without any cover-up. In the body, specifically in the body, only in the body, you see the complete revelation of Hashem. And, it's, and the same is with the mitzvah. How do you merit the resurrection? By doing the mitzvah. That's why every single Jew will have a share in the world to come, through the mitzvah. Again, what's the mitzvah? The physical part of the mitzvah. You would think, putting on tefillin, what's the theme of putting on tefillin? The theme of putting on tefillin is to devote your mind, to dedicate your mind and your heart to Hashem. So wouldn't it be more effective? Close your eyes. Go into a deep, deep meditation. Awaken your heart. Stir your heart. And many Jews put on tefillin and not stirring the heart. <laughs> they're, not, they're not going to deep meditation. Maybe falling asleep. It's so early in the morning, but they're not going to deep meditation. <laughs> but yet, but they did the mitzvah. They put on the tefillin. But the Jew sits and closes his eyes and goes into deep trance and deep meditation and focuses and is refined and is has nothing if he doesn't physically put on it. And, it. and the answer is, exactly. Because when a person connects with Hashem through your higher level of consciousness and through your intention and through your spirituality and your refinement, you know, in a way, that's almost a distraction. It's a cover. It doesn't allow for the manifestation of Hashem's infinite and transcendent self. But the leather boxes, the hide of the animal, those black boxes, those unadorned, simple phylacteries, as if that explains anything, villain. This is only because Hashem desired it. There's no meditation on earth that would lead you to put on black boxes made of leather hide of an animal, put it on your, on your arm and, 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 and opposite your, your heart and put it on your head. It's all because Hashem desired it. That's what makes the mitzvah divine. So the divinity of the mitzvah, touching the divine, is only when you physically do the mitzvah. When you light the candle, give the, physically give the tzedakah, put on the tefillin, eat the kosher. It's not the meditation, and it's not the spirituality, and it's not... It's the clear vessel and vehicle and the manifestation of the manifestation of Hashem's divine, infinite, transcendent self is only the physical. When you physically do the mitzvah, the 600. And that will lead to the resurrection. That will lead to the ultimate revelation of God. That this world will become the source of all the worlds. The holiest of all the worlds. The most intense revelation that in heaven that totally transcends the revelation of heaven. Thousands of years of being in the Garden of Eden and growing day day by day, advancing, leaps and bounds, day by day for thousands of years. The holiest souls, most intense souls, the deepest souls. And yet that's nothing in comparison to what they will experience during the resurrection. The revelation of the revelation which will take place specifically, exclusively, in the physical. They have to come back into the body to be able to experience that intense revelation.
I mean, this is so counterintuitive. This, is, this gets to the essence of Judaism. That's why it's the 13th principle of faith. It's the ultimate, the crowning. You know, you have 13 measures of attributes of Hashem. This is the ultimate, the crowning. Because if you understand this, you understand Judaism. If you don't get resurrection, everyone believes in the eternity of the soul. What's unique about Judaism is we believe in the eternity of the body. The importance of the body, the importance of the physical, the importance of the deed. Unlike all other religions and mystical movements with emphasis on the meditation and the love and the philosophy and the insights and the depth and the sensitivity and the religiosity and the intensity and the... Judaism says, no. It's the action that matters. It's the only thing that matters. It's the ultimate thing that matters. Everything else is icing on the cake. It's just a preparation. It's leading us towards the purpose and the ultimate and the goal, which is the physical mitzvah, which will lead to the physical manifestation of the physical resurrection of the body. And then the souls and the heavens will come into this world in order to experience that radical revelation, a radical transformation, a manifestation of Hashem's transcendent self and His infinite self. It is one of the most profound letters of the Higeras, HaKadosh, very, very fundamental. There is something special about the body because physically, because Einstein said the energy is matter, but there's no matter in energy, so it is very unique. The body has an advantage over the energy. Right, able to manifest itself. All this uh, talk about global warming and the if you don't believe in God then maybe you don't sleep at night you're worried about this and you're worried about that if you believe in God God promised to Noah that the world will never be destroyed you know there's a God in this world and a God is running this world and this world is not a free for all so you sleep like a baby at night you're not worried you have to act responsibly and you have to make sure to but this alarmism and this uh, this you know, the world is, the world is going to be destroyed. And if you don't believe in God, yes, it could be very, very, very frightening. But if you believe in God, you have a confidence. You know that you've been under the same management for 5,775 years. And, uh, you know, I don't know about rent control, but he controls the world. And, uh, and, um, and you know, so, so you, yes, you have to be responsible, you have to act responsibly, but you don't let this alarmism and this fear and this fear-mongering and this, you know, relax, you know, take it easy. You know, so you, you don't have the fear. Yes, you have to improve and try to act in a natural way, but for, you don't doubt for a moment what the outcome is going to be. We know where we're heading. We're heading towards Mashiach. We're heading towards something wonderful, towards something good. And like a true leader doesn't feel, doesn't fill the people with fear. A true leader gives them hope and optimism and, you know, instead of this fear mongering and, you know, the, so the world is going to hell. And, and according to Judaism, this is the ultimate world. This is the ultimate purpose. This world is not just an accident. We're not just a speck floating in the universe, an insignificant speck floating in the universe. This is the ultimate purpose. 
all the world and the upper world and the higher world and all the souls, they can't wait to come back into this world. We are at the center of the universe. We are the center of the universe. This physical earth is, is the center of the universe. So there's, there's nothing to fear. We, we're, all heading, we're heading in a good place. This is a journey. But this is part of the choice, part of the chaos and the confusion and the choice that we have. We have the wisdom to listen to the Torah, follow the Torah, realize the, 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 time, the times that we live in, the special opportunities that we have and, and, uh, and take advantage of all those opportunities and live up to our destiny. Or you can choose to be befuddled and be muddled and confused and sow confusion and spread confusion and fear and, and fear-mongering. And so that's the choice that we have. You know, we are at a crossroad. We are in the threshold of the Messi- of Mashiach, the Messianic era, which will be followed by the resurrection. So everything that we're learning here now is something that's very close to us. It's not something in the very distant future. We're talking about something that's something that we're preparing for as we speak. So there's, there's, this is very actual and very realistic and, and with Hashem's help we will see this. We're going to see all of this. So uh, this is an actual uh, this is a current event almost. <laughs> this soon will be a front page headlines. The magnitude and force infinitely exceeding the state in which the radiation is manifest in the lower and higher levels of Ganesh. The souls of all the Tzaddikim and all the Tanayim who preceded them and of the prophets who predate the Tanayim that are now in the higher Ganadin at the peak of all levels. If they were great while they were alive, you could imagine what level they are now. They haven't been uh, sitting on their laurels. In the Garden of Eden, the souls have no peace, have no rest. They're constantly striving. If you think we're ambitious in this world, we're constantly striving and breakthroughs and growing from one level to the next. And we've just experienced breakthroughs in our lifetime in the last 100, 200 years. We never more so than we've experienced in the last few thousand years. Imagine the breakthroughs and the advancements and the levels that the prophets, which are much greater than the Tanoyim and, and, and the patriarchs and the matriarchs and Moses, imagine what, what heights, what peak levels they are today, what level heights they've achieved in spirituality and become vested in their bodies in the time to come and will arise at the time of the resurrection to derive pleasure from the splendor of the kingdom, which will then radiate in this world to the souls as they are vested within their bodies. So obviously it can't be a downgrade. <laughs> You're not, you're not sending them from the Garden of Eden and <laughs> they're getting a downgrade. Oh, sorry, come back, to, come back down to earth. It's not a downgrade. It has to be an upgrade. So if the Garden, if you understand how advanced and how great the Garden of Eden is and we can't even imagine, we can't even conceive it so beyond, and yet this is considered an advancement for the souls to come back to the body, this is considered an advancement. So it's clear... That Mashiach, that during the resurrection, the most intense revelation will specifically take place in the physical. That the soul cannot achieve that level, 
cannot perceive that level, that transcendent, infinite level of Hashem, and the soul will have to come down and journey into the body in order to achieve, in order to experience the, this intense revelation, which far surpasses and far exceeds by level, by by a magnitude of infinite magnitude of anything that the soul could accomplish and achieve remaining in the Garden of Eden in a, in a spiritual state in a blissful state in a disembodied state it is thus clear that this revelation will transcend by far the degree of revelation that can be attained in the higher Garden Eden so that it is worthwhile for souls which are so lawfully situated to descend and enclose themselves in physical bodies in order to be able to receive it this revelation is purely an act of tzedakah and great gratuitous kindness on Hashem's part. The man's arousal from below is in no way intense enough to draw down such an imminent degree of revelation. His spiritual service serves only as a vessel which enables him to receive it. The Alta Rebbe now goes on to explain what exactly it is about the revelation attainable in the world to come that makes the revelation attainable even in the higher than Eden pale in comparison. So the reward, the eternal reward in the Garden of Eden, is in the afterlife, that's something that makes sense. That's a reward. That makes sense. can't say it's a pure act of tzedakah. In a way, it's, it makes sense. Because you've earned it. You've refined yourself. You've studied Torah. You've, you've worked on it. So you, you've expanded. You've opened yourself up. You've become sensitive. Now you have the vessel and the vehicle in order to receive and absorb these lights and these experiences and this, these revelations. But to experience the transcendent, infinite self of Hashem, which is so counterintuitive, which is so paradoxical that this manifestation will only take place in the physical. Such an intense revelation that's beyond the Garden of Eden. It's so beyond the Garden of Eden that it's worthwhile for them to leave the Garden of Eden just to come back into the body. This is a pure act of tzedakah. You can't say that we've earned this. We've done anything to earn it or to deserve it. It's a pure gratuitous act. And that's what he says. That, that uh, the derech Hashem, the way of Hashem, the way of Hashem bringing His infinite self and manifesting His infinite self and journeying and bringing it into the physical world, this is the ultimate act of tzedakah. Las is tzedakah. This is an act of tzedakah. So the, res- the revelation during the, the resurrection will be a pure act of tzedakah. That's the ultimate act of tzedakah. And that's what he's going to explain at the end. This is evoked. How do we reach this? By us doing tzedakah today, and not only doing tzedakah, physically doing tzedakah, but how we do the tzedakah, by doing it with compassion Love, this arouses and evokes from the source of, of, of compassion. Hashem's infinite self, and this will manifest itself, the principle will manifest itself during the era of resurrection, but the rewards, the fruits, the dividends, we benefit from now. From this infinite revelation, we get dividends today. It doesn't touch the principle. Today we don't access it, we can't access we don't sense the essence of Hashem. We don't sense Hashem's infinite self. We don't sense Hashem's transcendent self. We do mitzvot and yet we're like blind, deaf and dumb. We don't respond. We don't get excited. We don't realize what we've just done. We don't realize the power of what, we, what we've just done through this physical mitzvah. We touch the divine. We're, we're, we're preparing for the resurrection of the dead. We're, we're preparing for the ultimate revelation, most intense revelation of godliness that transcends and surpasses anything and exceeds anything even in the highest spiritual realms. We do the mitzvah and we're like indifferent. 
But the reward, the payers, the dividends we get in this world, in the physical, Hashem rewards us by, by through tzedakah, Hashem gives us also physical reward and, and parnasa and health and everything else, and also spiritual rewards, either in the Garden of Eden or for righteous people even in this world. When they do a mitzvah, they get a glimmer of the divine, they get excited, they're in ecstasy, they, they, they're inspired because they get a sense, a little sense, a little ray of a glimmer of the principle of what they've accomplished. So they get some exaltation, some revelation in their soul, some uplift in their soul, and excitement and, and uh, passion and, uh, in their soul, this, which is the dividends which comes from that principle that will remain and be revealed only when, when, during the era of resurrection. Not only when Mashiach will come, but later on during the era of resurrection. When the physical body will be resurrected. And uh, next week, we'll go on to explain what's the difference, why in the Garden of Eden, all the revelations of the Garden of Eden can't even hold a candle. There's nothing in comparison to the revelation, the intense revelation that will be manifest in the physical world during the era of resurrection, in the body. This is Hasidus 101. <laughs> <laughs> This is the revolution of the Baal Shem Tov, the revolution of Hasidus, the revolution of the Alter Rebbe. It's so counterintuitive, it's so the opposite of we would think on our own. But this captures the essence of what Yiddishkeit is all about, what makes it so unique and different. And to be continued. This class is part of the Lessons in Tanya project. More classes available at LessonsInTanya.com